Well, today is a full day. Our hearts are full, both with Dennis and Linda Beck being with us. And for this special occasion this morning, on which and at which and in which we ordain David Calvert to the gospel ministry. Um, let me say before we start moving in, in in that that as you know I'm going to be on a two month sabbatical after the service today and the summer is a time when a lot of visitors start checking out churches so we actually have a chance of hanging on to some of those uh, since I won't be here for two months but <clears throat> maybe into the fall but I just want you to be real nice to the people coming in this this summer okay and so that they, you know, by the time I get back, they'll say, well, look, the people are just so good. We're going we're gonna to stay anyway. But uh, Allison and I will have you in our hearts. Um, and uh, Dennis, when you were talking about Betty, where Dennis and where did they go? There they are back there in the back now. I ran them off the front row because of our activities in a little bit. But um, you you reminded us about Betty just before we get on the plane to go to Australia. So that's uh, going to be on my mind. Now I'm just going to have to be walking the whole time I'm on the on the plane. Uh, and that is another thing that Dennis and I share in common is that we've both lost a wife and then God has blessed us wonderfully with another help me to, to serve alongside of us. Well, if you are here today for the first time at Grace Community Church, you are here on a very special day. It's a day in which our church officially confirms God's call on David's life. Now think about that. Does that sound a little odd to you? We officially confirm God's call on David's life. Can, can we as a church officially confirm anything can we say, yeah, God, we, we agree with you? Well, yes, we can. Actually, it's quite biblical. It's quite biblical for the body to affirm a call on someone's life. That's how the person knows. That's how the man knows he is indeed being called. Uh, the New Testament affirms the practice of the church ordaining men to eldership and deacons and by extension, men to the gospel ministry. Uh, he does so primarily in the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Paul wrote to Timothy, who was in Ephesus. He was the teaching elder at Ephesus, and he wrote to his co-laborer Titus, who was on uh, establishing churches on the island of Crete. And in those letters, those three letters, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, he spent a great deal of time talking about the structure of, of the church <clears throat> and ordaining ministers is one of the responsibilities of the church. So today we acknowledge God's call on David's life. We declare him worthy and ready for this step and we ordain him to gospel ministry. It's my responsibility to give this charge to David today. It's a privilege. It's a great privilege and responsibility to give a charge to David. And while I'll be talking a lot to him, I'll be calling his name a lot. This is a, a, a reminder for all the elders. And in fact, it is a call to everyone in the church. Uh, this message was actually a little bit 
painful as I prepared this message and realizing my own shortcomings for this calling that God has on my life. But don't feel sorry for me. Get ready because this is coming at you too. This whole text is coming at you as well. So let's prepare our hearts for the Lord's challenge to all of us as we set ourselves the body of Grace Community Church to confer upon David Calvert our affirmation that God has called him to ministry. Our text today, as you might imagine, and you might have guessed, is from the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy three sixteen to 4, 16. Much of this text is a direct charge to young Timothy, who was, as I've already mentioned, the teaching elder at Ephesus. Our hearts resonate with this text as we ordain David today. We'll read the text and then think about some of the implications from it. Give a charge to David, and then we'll call the elders forward uh, to officially ordain David. So, would you please stand as we read our text together today? First Timothy three, beginning with beginning at the end of chapter three, verse sixteen, and then going through the end of chapter four. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the spirit, vindicated, excuse me, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father, 
Um, we acknowledge the seriousness, the gravity of this day. Lord, we acknowledge that we are called to follow a plan that you have ordained. The way that you have determined the gospel will go forth through the preaching of the word. And through preachers. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive this charge along with David. For what is good for him is surely good for all who follow Jesus. We pray that Jesus would be exalted even on this day. When we acknowledge your call on David's life. And it's in the name of your son Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Well the text that we have just read offers a fourfold challenge to David. It offers a fourfold challenge to the congregation as well. And you should know that they're one and the same. So don't be looking for the second set of four. You know after the first four are done. We will be done. The same for David is to you. But since we're ordaining David, I'm going to direct a number of my comments to him. The first charge from the text, David, is this, to center on Jesus. Ministers of the the gospel proclaim life to their hearers. And apart from Jesus, there is no life. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope of eternal life. The scripture makes that very clear. Let's go back to where we began in 1st. Timothy 3.16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now you may recall that mystery in the New Testament is a truth that was previously hidden and is now revealed. You remember the Old Testament where godliness was thought to be achieved through the law? Well, they realized it couldn't happen. Here's the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Wouldn't you know that on this day that we begin our time together with an ancient hymn? This was a first century hymn. Very likely the Apostle Paul didn't write these words, but he affirmed them because of the truth that was in it. This was accepted truth about Jesus. And this hymn really reads more like an early creed, but it was before creeds were written by the church. All the early creeds, when you see it, there's about this much given to the Father, this much given to the Spirit, and this much given to the Son because there was a lot of debate about who Jesus was. And this was very, it was made very clear from the earliest days in the church by the apostles' teaching that Jesus was the center of all of God's redemptive plan for the ages. John Calvin thought that the core teaching of the person of Christ is embedded in these words. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful. What did the hymn teach? First of all, it taught the incarnation. He was manifested in the flesh. God became man. It also taught about the resurrection. He was vindicated by the Spirit. That's what Paul was referring to or the hymn writers were referring to. That that Jesus was vindicated when he was raised up. He was vindicated by the Spirit of God, raised him up. And of course, 
If there was a resurrection, there had to be a death. And 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, I believe it is, already tells us that that death was a substitutionary death, that Jesus died as a ransom, as we sang about earlier this morning, for our sins. And there is glorification. He was seen by angels. The point that is being made is that he was worshipped by angels. Evangelism. He was proclaimed among the nations. Gentiles heard the good news, believed on in the world. Gentiles and Jews alike believed on Jesus. And then he was magnified, taken up in glory. Glory is a reference to the brightness and majesty of God's presence in Jesus. Powerful statement about who Jesus is. Stay centered on Jesus, David. If you do, you shouldn't have a problem with this second part of the charge. Stay rooted in the gospel. The good news that Jesus died to save men and women from hell is something that you proclaim every week and you do so very effectively. You're privileged to share it, David, from up here when you lead us in worship. But as odd as it may seem, there's a temptation for ministers to, to blur the blur, brilliant clarity of the gospel as they go through the years. We can find ourselves tempted to say, you know, Jesus is absolutely necessary for your salvation. But the bigger part of your spiritual growth is up to you. If you don't get it done, it's not going to happen. You're going to have to do this, this, and this. So that our development as Christians becomes a life in which holiness is more about human effort than it is about Jesus' work in our lives. The false teachers at Ephesus were telling, listening audiences that in order to truly please Jesus, you must not marry. You must not get married. In addition, they were saying uh, that you couldn't eat certain foods. Now, look, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, and a lot of people want to point to that text, that if you are not married, then you're maybe better situated to just give all of your time focusing on Jesus and your ministry is unencumbered. Because when you're married, there, there are things that you have to tend to that you wouldn't have to tend to if you weren't married. But Paul makes it clear here and in, in other places that marriage is God's norm. <clears throat> but these people were saying, you want to be spiritual? You can't get married. You want to be rightly related to Jesus? Then don't marry. Furthermore, you can't eat certain foods that were going back to the law. Can't eat pork. But Timothy knew from what Paul had taught in other places that in Jesus, all of those boundaries were broken down and, and no longer were there dietary restrictions. So if you plan to go to Smithfield's, I don't think Howard's is open on Sunday, but you go ahead and have some barbecue. That'll be fine. Maybe we should go to Smithfield's today, Allison. Dennis and Linda, have a little cue just to show our support for Paul and Timothy in this uh, text. These false teachers pretended to be protecting the truth, but they were bowing to idols. 
Paul made his argument that God had created everything. All dietary restrictions were abolished in Jesus. It was right for Paul to remind Timothy to stay rooted in the gospel. It is also right for us, David, as elders and as a church, to charge you to stay rooted in the gospel. You are as rooted as anybody I know in the gospel already. You've got that going for you. We live in a day where if you want to sell any book in any Christian store, gospel's got to be in the title. I mean, it's just a day where the gospel has been recovered in a sense. Listen, in my early days, you didn't hear nearly as much. Well, not in my circles anyway. Not nearly as much about the gospel as you do today. And so that's going for you. But there may be any number of distractions that take your focus Off the truth of the gospel. And seek to turn your heart away from the gospel. In the most dangerous circumstances and situations are presently nowhere on your radar. The most effective attacks by Satan are the ones that come from unexpected angles, avenues, areas. Stay rooted in the gospel. And the best way to do so is something that you said even yesterday in your ordination exam. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Take this good news of creation, fall, redemption, restoration to the world. But preach it to yourself every single day. In preaching the gospel to yourself, you'll find it is more and more natural to follow this third charge from the passage. Pursue godliness. Godliness is found 15 times in the New Testament. 13 of which are mentioned in the pastoral epistles. Now, here's what's significant about that. These were some of the last books that Paul wrote. So this was increasingly on his heart that we are to be godly. Nine of those 13 times from the pastoral epistles are found right here in 1 Timothy. The gospel says you can do nothing apart from Christ. And yet here you are, David, be in charge to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. How we attain godliness is a better way to say it than achieve is one of those mysteries. It's one of those that can be one of those truths that can be a little bit confusing. Pursuing gospel in the light of the gospel is necessary because pursuit of godliness apart from the gospel can quickly become a works-oriented approach to spiritual growth. But obedience and effort are required, both required of the Christ follower. We can't say, okay, God, I'm not going to pursue this. I'm just going to let you do this for me. So I'm going to just devote the next 10 minutes. Oh, wait a minute. I can't devote. Lord, just do it for me. Obviously, that's not going to work. We have to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Paul wrote about this odd combination of God's work of holiness and man's responsibility to pursue it in Colossians 1.29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See that combination? What does that mean? I don't know. I I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm, you know, I, it, it's, it, it's easier for me to do than it is to articulate, and it's really difficult to do. 
So, you know, to just let the Lord, to work hard, but let God be the one in charge. So soak in this truth, believer. Not just David, all of you soak in this truth. And this from 1 Corinthians 15.10, it's not on the screen, but listen once again to the Apostle Paul. In fact, you might want to just close your eyes for this, just just to soak this in. But by the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than them all, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm working hard, but my heart has to be to the Lord saying, you are the one who sanctifies me. Sanctification or spiritual growth requires human effort and commitment, but it is not accomplished by human effort and commitment. You get that? Clear as mud, eh? As my dad used to say. I'm just thinking about my dad this morning. I was following a car up the hill today. And, you know, saying the same thing that my dad would have said. If you were going any slower, you'd be backing up, you know. But he used to say clear as mud, and that's what it feels like sometimes. But God's work in our spiritual growth that we are pursuing is made clear at the beginning of this chapter. The fact that we've already talked about this. You can't say, okay, if you'll do this, this, and this, then you will grow spiritually. Godliness is centered on Jesus. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. But godliness has a list of do's and don'ts. While we may struggle to know the way to allow the Holy Spirit to produce godliness in us, the Apostle Paul didn't seem to have trouble. In verse 7, he charges Timothy to train himself for godliness. How? Well, in verse 6, he he talks about spiritual discipline and godliness is rooted in the Word, or the spiritual training is rooted in the Word. The words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. And then in verse 8, Paul indicates that the training that produces godliness benefits one both in this life and in the next. Physical exercise only helps one in this life, which is why I'm going to quit making my contribution to Club Works uh, every month. But spiritual discipline in the Word directs us back to Jesus, who is the Savior of all who believe. Now, don't let this verse throw you. There are verses like this that you say, huh? He's the Savior of all the world, especially to those who believe. Paul was simply saying that Jesus is the Savior of Jews and Gentiles alike. He's the Savior of all who believe on him. They have eternal life. Spiritual discipline will help you, David, in this last charge from the chapter. Live in a manner worthy of God's calling on your life. Timothy was perhaps a few years older than you were when Paul wrote this letter to him. It was a day in which the life expectancy was far lower than it is today. People died a lot younger. 
and the respect for the elderly because of the wisdom of the years that they were expected to have maintained, especially amongst religious leaders. Respect for the elderly was through the roof. But even in that day where 35 would have been considered late middle age, probably, Timothy was considered a young man. And so Paul told Timothy, do not let people despise you on the account of your age. And I would say to you, Grace Community Church, do not consider David Calvert a youngster. If you'd sat with us yesterday in our examination, you would have thanked God for what the Lord has done in his life. Of course, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he was writing to an individual rather than the body. And really, what control did Paul have over how the congregation regarded Timothy? He didn't have any, really. I mean, he might could have said the same thing that I did. But Timothy had some say in that. Timothy had some say in what the congregation thought of him. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. In other words, live up to your calling, David. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. You've done that already this morning. And you do that very well and very effectively for us every week. To exhortation. To teaching. Stay in the word every day and you'll be centered on Jesus and rooted in the gospel. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you. We're about to do that in just a moment. We're going to lay hands on you, pray over you and commit you to the Lord's care and leading for your service in the kingdom. In so doing, we affirm God's call on your life, the call that you sense he has placed on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, You will save both yourself and your hearers. This is no small charge. Eternal matters are at stake. God is sovereign. He will save who he will. But he says that you have a responsibility, David. And that when you persist in doing these things. And when you follow, when you accept this charge. And you follow the Lord in this life. In so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to ask all of the elders, both active and inactive, to come and to take your place on the front row. Bert Wallace is going to call for affirmation of David's ordination. He's going to lead us in prayer. And then we have a few presentations for David. Before he leads us in communion. Let's pray. Father. 
I, I do hope that this text has resonated with every single person in this room. Uh, Lord, if there, are there, if there are those here this, this day that have trusted good works or have trusted some affiliation with the church through baptism or membership that's not rooted in a relationship with Jesus, if they've trusted that for a relationship with you, then I pray that the gospel message that Jesus came to live a life that God demanded of every one of us and and which none of us could live. And then he died on the cross in our place so that when we acknowledge our sin, when we repent of our sin, We say, I'm done with this, Lord. With your help, I give my life to you. And I believe on Jesus. And so do we. We're saved. I believe that Jesus took my place on the cross. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me if it helps. It's not necessary. Just believe. Just believe it. Affirm it in your heart. And then for the rest of us, Lord, uh, this charge to David is not entirely specific to his calling. It is a part of his calling, indeed. But it's written to all of us. We pray that you would help us to center on Jesus, to stay rooted in the gospel, to pursue godliness. And to live worthy of our calling. You say that in other places, Lord, the calling of being in the family of God. But for David, we ask for special power, special anointing that he might receive, respond, rest, that he might live according to this charge. He can only do so through the power of Christ. And we commend him to Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I am happy this morning to uh, formally announce the elder's decision to ordain David Calvert to the gospel ministry. I just wanted to say a few things for those of you don't, who don't know or don't remember so far back. David... Um, began serving this church uh, as a student at Campbell back in the late 90s, um, just to put that into in perspective for you. He was um, playing up here in the band at that time, and over time he transitioned into worship leader, sort of part-time, and, and uh, then became full-time in, in 2006, where he became on full-time as our uh, worship leader. Um, David has felt the call uh, to ministry for a long time, and the elders have responded to that call as well. Uh, We have examined David formally, um, both in in a written uh, exam that was uh, quite extensive and and an oral exam period. Um, We talked about all kinds of things, theology, Bible knowledge, church history, certainly pastoral care and ministry. Uh, issues, all these things and, and more uh, were covered and exam, examined 
uh, by the elders and also by some other uh, pastors from other churches were involved in that process. Um, and certainly uh, David has satisfactorily passed those examinations, um, concluding yesterday morning. Um, we are officially uh, now going to ordain David to the gospel ministry. This uh, ordination uh, carries uh, certainly spiritual weight. It also carries legal weight, uh, allowing David to do things like perform uh, marriages and other uh, functions uh, like that. And we are, we're happy to do that and pleased to, to uh, convey this ordination on him. Um, it's something that, as I said, the elders, after examining David and, and prayer and discussion with each other, uh, ha- are fully satisfied that in David's call and his worthiness to uh, serve as an ordained minister of the gospel. And uh, so because of the uh, legal nature of this as well, though, I want this to be something that Grace Community Church is officially uh, bestowing on David. And so at this time, I would call for a a motion to affirm the elders' decision to ordain David Calvert to the gospel ministry. Do I have a second? Well, hearing uh, a motion that we do that and a second as well, uh, I would like to now uh, just by an, a voice vote and after, uh, ask all that affirm the elders' decision to ordain David Calvert to the gospel ministry to signify by saying aye. aye. Any opposed? Uh, thank you for your participation in this and thank you for your participation as members of this body. Um, we will now call uh, David forward and also, if, if all uh, Grace Community Church elders, active and inactive, I think most that are here are sitting down front already, would come forward, and we will uh, lay hands on David and pray for him. So, David, if you would come forward as well. Father, we pray for David this morning. We thank you for him and his ministry To this church, we thank you for his uh, call to your gospel ministry. We uh, ask for your blessings on him. Uh, We know that he loves you and that uh, you love him, Lord. We know that without your love and your grace, none of us could come before your presence. But we just thank you that you have saved us through your great mercy and that you love us and that you love David. We love David as well, Lord, and we just pray for him for Sarah, for the children as they um, continue uh, their work, uh, serving you, proclaiming your word. And we just pray that you would be with him and his ministry throughout his life and that you would bless him, uh, keep him focused the way that Brad charged him this morning on your word and um, on living a life worthy of your calling. Lord, we just um, present David to you this morning and uh, bestow our blessings on him and, and, and Agree with your spirit in the call that you have given to David. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 David, if you'd stay up here, we have a few more presentations to make. David, we have some uh, light reading for you to. <laughs> and a great theologian once told me that uh, every third book you read. Well, he wasn't actually a great theologian. Brad told me that (laughs) every third book you read should be by a dead person. So we have one from Calvin. So take these, use them well. 
Sarah, if you would come up also. Uh, we recognize that as we're ordaining uh, David into uh, the ministry and the blessing of our church, we realize that you're partnering with him in this, and you've already uh, given up a significant time as he's studied and gone through the examination process, and as well as going through his education uh, at Campbell. And so we have a card and also a, uh, a gift card here for Outback where you have a little date night. So thank you, and Lord bless you in your time of ministry together. Uh, and uh, do you, are you going to give a presentation now or with that? Change the order. Um, in a tangible representation of the benediction, or excuse me, benediction, what am I saying? Orientation. Ordination. I went to college. Listen, I, I, I squeezed five years of college or four years of college into five, so sorry I'm fouling it up. Tangible representation of the ordination David went through this week and throughout his ministry, we'd like to present him with this certificate. And, uh, and so on behalf of the elders, we'd like to, uh, to charge David in, in leading us in the, uh, one of the sacraments, the partaking of the Lord's Supper. 